Alright, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the Average Years Podcast. You bring me joy. My joy. That song just randomly popped into my head. You ever have a song that just swings and swims in your head all of a sudden? You start singing it out loud. It's just one of those songs by Anita Baker. You know, still love Auntie Anita Baker. Not really here for the the high drinks on tour, baby face that she's pulling. But alas, we move on. Song still slap, music still slaps. Well, well, well. We're back for another episode. It's Mr. Fox, the I Refuse Podcast. Welcome back. I'm going to try to switch up when I produce episodes. That last episode that I did, I was clearly delirious. <laughs> Towards the middle and the end of the episode, um, that's when my lisinopril was kicking in all over my body and I just get kind of loopy. So this episode, this week, I've decided to do in the afternoon. I spent most of the weekend playing Watch Dogs Legion on PlayStation 5 which I was streaming directly to Twitch, uh, babyface alpha underscore between the words, in case anybody was wondering, follow, subscribe, and show the love. Love that game. It's probably the best one out of the series. Um, Bar none. It's very easy to get caught up into that game because you just want to do the right thing liberates you know society take down the man that's my shit that's how i got wrapped up into just cause but we're not here to talk about me all the time figure we keep it loose on this episode welcome to the i refuse podcast again this is mr fox the i refuse podcast lovely that you're here Love that you took time out of your uh, commute, your busy work day, to join us at the Hot Mess Express. Thought I'd come up on here this week to talk about some things. Uh, First, one housekeeping item. In case this is your first time to the season, first time to the podcast, just try to open up the episode Jonathan Majors dating and I put that in air quotes and I say that loosely Megan Good curveball don't understand it don't get it especially since he is walking around with a dark cloud over his head essentially canceled in Hollywood opportunities out the window White Girl, Did You Win? The Bird App and Discourse. Some of us are like, we'll stand by him. We'll we'll see how this goes. Because you know how the Me Too movement, while a lot of that's legitimate, people still do lie. And you have other people on the other side of the, the conversation that are just like, 
this dude has a temper problem. There are other allegations, yada, 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 yada. Then you have Megan Good, who, while not particularly an A-lister, is definitely somebody that is sweet and nice, non-problematic, the perfect candidate for PR damage. Haven't really seen her out a lot since her and the pastor got divorced. So, but regardless of that, this is just very odd because it's very well known that Jonathan Majors goes with the Snow Bunnies, uh, the Manila Frosties, you know, the Sprites, the White Girls. And now that the powers that be or whoever is in his camp is realizing that you this is probably not a good look for you to keep messing with white girls. Let's just put you with a non-problematic black girl. This is just my theory. And let everybody else outside of the bubble try to figure it out. The rest of us out here are confused as fuck. Um, I don't know what's going on here, but it's very much giving... Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello, where it's like y'all are trying to convince yourselves and trying to convince us that it's real. I, I totally don't get it. But moving on, America, America has a problem. You know, a whole day went on in my life before I realized that Jim Brown had passed away. And just as soon as I realized that he had passed away the day before, again, down on the Bird app, the Bird machine, there was another moment of division. So rest in fill in the blank, Jim Brown, because this is where we are. NFL says three-time MVP, 1964 NFL champion, nine-time pro bowler, Eight-time first-team All-Pro, Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 1971, NFL 100 All-Time Team, Civil Rights Activist, a man of power, of man of prestige. Jim Brown will forever be one of the greatest to play the game we love. Cancer culture. Fuck Jim Brown. Charged with assaulting an 18-year-old, was charged with attempted murder for throwing a girl off a balcony, was charged with rape, allegedly assaulted his girlfriend, allegedly assaulted all of his wives, supported Trump, called kneeling during the national anthem disrespectful, banned from the Playboy Mansion. Ladia claiming that people have been talking about this for years. This is what I have to say. Y'all are weird. Like, I don't have a long-standing association or connection with Jim Brown. Really not that big into football. Never really was. Um, By the time I, when I was like a kid, he was already like 60 years ahead of me. Only thing I can tie Jim Brown to really is two two movies that they used to play heavy when I was growing up. 
Um, I'm going to get you soccer, which is one of my all-time top five or top ten movies of all time. Um, and original gangsters with Pam Greer and um, there was another football player turned actor in that movie. People claiming they've been talking about these rape and allegation things for years. I've never heard of that that shit. And here's the thing. Like, it while it's great, like, yes, I stand ten toes down with fuck Jim Brown for, you know, allegedly raping, abusing women. Um, having, being a very abusive man with a temper, all, all that there, right? But I can also say that, you know, the same people that are caping for black women against black men, and these are other black people, um, some female celebrities or female actresses as well, you know, throwing themselves on the sword to stir the cauldron and, you know, revere the the bad toxic stuff are the same ones that were that will put out statements as to why they left community to care for their dying father when the reality was. They left the show because allegedly Chevy Chase would casually and repeatedly use the N-word in their presence or towards them and other people in the cast. Like, if we're going to be truthful and honest and stomp the pavement for equality it's got to be on both sides right like the optics of you know this this uh being a, a black person or a person of color jumping on the bandwagon of villainizing and, and like campaigning with others and this revisiting history and all this other stuff about this man or woman after their passing. It's like, what what good is that doing? You know what I mean? Like, you want us to... Like, you want us to, to shit on a dead person for a past. I, it, it just seems weird to me. Um, yes, Definitely, you know, fuck Jim Brown, but I can also say what good is bringing that that stuff up and, you know, throwing allegedly on it like we weren't there. We do not know. We're just circulating shit that Google tells us, you know, the same Internet that tells you what to do when you have an injury, you know, the same Internet that shits out stuff that can be debunked by Snopes. I I just don't I don't know. It's just it's just a weird thing for me when 
we're we're villainizing a dead person like we were pretty mom the the last 50 or 60 years of this man's life we 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 were we were quiet now that the man's dead it's like oh remember that thing in 68 you know when he allegedly threw threw an 18 year old girl off the balcony Remember when he was banned at the Playboy Mansion? You know, the same Playboy Mansion that y'all were claiming was a cesspool for predators and it was nothing but fucking going on up there and, you know, Playboy is just bringing down feminism and setting women back 500 years and all this other stuff. Like, it just, when we all gather and discourse and align ourselves with one particular perception that's anti the other person, it makes us look like assholes. Baby, this is the first time I've said this on the podcast, and I will continue to say it. If I wanted to hear from an asshole, I would have farted. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what kind of legacy y'all want in life. I mean, having an opinion is great, and having a stance is great. But at the end of the day, it's not making your apartment bigger. It's not making your car last longer. It's not putting money in your pocket. It's not feeding your kids. And it's like, at some point, I look at it, and it's like, this is really just about feeding your pride and your ego. And, you know, the NFL, you know, although I look at them sideways, I still accept the reality the NFL is just in it for money and in it for stats. You know, they they pay the players a lot of money hand over fist, but that's if they make it through the season. And if you make it through the season, it's just another year of wear and tear and aging on your bones and your joints that you'll never get back. And sometimes, or the majority of the time, the players, as they get older, they can't recover from that. I mean, CTE. So it's like, we could still honor the person for the accomplishments they made in football or sports. And a lot of us were right there with them. I mean, not a lot of us, because, you know, this is back in the 50s and the 60s that he was doing all this for the NFL. But it makes me wonder, like, the same people that are there to revere you and crowd around, take pictures with you and stuff, will be the same people later on that'll be like, well, goddamn, he is a shitty human being. A lot of us are shitty. A lot of men are trash. I've said this on the podcast. Hundreds of episodes. A lot of men are trash. So are women. Like, at some point in a person's life, there is the the realization that they are the sum of their upbringing, right? Like, men from those days, horrible. I just was having a conversation a couple episodes ago about Harry Belafonte 
Sidney Poitier. I think I may have said something about Quincy Jones. Where it's just like, regardless of the cloth that they have on, the the genius that they have, there's a huge part of them that is trying to escape. They, they, they get into an art form or they get into a, a medium, sports, yada, yada, yada. They work their ass off as a means to uh, get from out of one place. But none of that, no matter how far you get in life, none of that saves you from who you are. Like, you got to think, Jim Brown died in 80s, in his early 80s. Men, a man of the, the 40s and the 50s, where it was very common for a black man to keep a black woman in line. And this is not justification, this is education. Like, we've all seen what's love got to do with it. You know, a lot of these these black men from the 30s and 40s and the 50s come from a time where they're like from the deep south. James Brown, too. Like, some of them abandoned by their mothers, abandoned by their fathers. They grow up with this amount of resent against women. And... You know, you you put that with a lot of the power that comes with being a celebrity, being famous, being controlled. This expectation that you should you should respect me and you should do right by me and you should love me because any old B word or everybody else loves me. You should too. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you off this. I'm just saying, like, it's not right, but we live in the real world, right? Like, and then drugs is everywhere. Like, you just, it. that's how it is, and you can't go back and change it. But here we are in 2023, leaving, you know, leaving this broad brushstroke of allegations on a dead person. And that's supposed to evolve and, I guess, do what for the rest of us. So, that's where I'm at. I'm Going to Get You Sucker is still one of my favorite movies. Um, There was... (laughs) So much going on in that movie. And I and I saw that like Marlon Wayans on I think on one of his uh stand up tours or in an interview or I think he was on a podcast said that he was almost in that movie. Chris Rock goes into the rib joint and he says how much is it for order rib? One rib. Isaac Hayes tells Jim Brown, one order of ribs. 
Chris Rock is like, one rib. Isaac Hayes is like, one rib. Chris Rock is like, one rib. Mm, I show you hungry. Isaac Hayes turns to Jim Brown and says, one rib. Jim Brown's like, one rib. Okay. Isaac Hayes turns back to Chris Rock. One rib coming up. Chris Rock is. Chris Rock says. How much is it. For. Soda. Soda. Small soda. Yeah. How much is it if, if you just pour them hand? And then Isaac Hayes roughs him up and says, Listen here, you greasy bastard. You gonna, you gonna get out here or put my foot to the... So, alright. Jim Brown and I'm gonna get you soccer is one of a few guys that Ken Ivory Wayans recruits as part of his team to take down Mr. Big. Jim Brown also has a bunion that is out of control, has been giving him hell. And towards the end of the movie, during a major shootout, he gets shot in that bunion. I cannot, to this day, look at that scene all the way through where his foot is just getting out of control. I was like, this damn Keenan Ivory Wayans. So Marlon was originally supposedly part of that movie, right? There was a whole discourse on the Bird app about who is the funniest Wayne's brother. A lot of people were saying Marlon based off of the Wayne's brother show. I'm still ten toes down to this day that Damon Wayne's is still the funniest Wayne's brother. Like you got Blank Man, you got Eleven Color, you got Mo Money, you got Major Pain, you got My Wife and Kids, and you got you know his stand up stuff. And I don't think we have enough discussion around that fact. Like, yeah, Keenan is the the force, like the silent force. Really good at the writing, the movies, the TV shows, and the ideas and everything. But Keenan, to this day, has always referred to Damon Wayans as his secret weapon. And if you look back, a lot of the driving force on the living color, sketch-wise, was Damon Wayans. I mean, a lot of group stuff, but more so, so many different characters. Homie the Clown, Men on Film, the Homeboy Shopping Network, um, Headman. And then he had that animated show called Dwayne Head, or Wayne Head. Just saying. So, I, Damon Wayans is, is the funniest Wayans. And it is possibly my favorite Wayans. I know there's probably 200, there's probably 200 of them. But Damon Wayans is my favorite. So, this is how I'm looking at y'all. 
when it comes to you know revisiting history and revising it and throwing yourselves on the sword when it comes to speaking on a person that's now dead um and not having and not taking the opportunity to have a real discuss, uh, you know an actual discussion about complicated people and men and conversations around mental health and possibly CTE like we've gotten to a point to where we're like a very dismissive society and and with that we're very much showing our slip as to how fake we are, how phony we are, how superficial we are. And we're really just out here to be seen and heard as we go from target to target, topic to topic. Not growing, just opining and moving on. So, that's why I'm with the whole Jim Brown thing. Very much able to discuss the good, you know, bring up the good, bring up the bad, and say, you know what? It is very much possible that a person can possess both good and bad qualities. Can't do shit about it now. But how do we look when we bring up bad shit on a dead person? America. America has a problem. We started watching the Donna Summer documentary on HBO Max. It's a good thing I, I brought it up. Because I first... I didn't see any like commercial or anything on the TV. It was actually TikTok that told me that it was coming out at the end of the, last week. was like huh there's not a lot of people talking about this so we're about halfway through it i didn't know she had um kids pre-fame and i didn't know that she was somewhat of a household name over in europe before her Giorgio marotta era and even before you know her casablanca era but Donna Summer, I got into her music when I was an adult. I remember a few songs. Well, She Works Hard for the Money, I think, was the first one I saw. And it wasn't even during its initial run. It was back when I was watching pop-up video a lot. Which, by the way, needed to bring that back. Like, I would spend hours upon hours watching pop-up video. You know, it was on VH1 for thousands of years. And then I think they brought it back later on. But that's how I knew that Donna Summer existed. And this was like the 90s. She didn't have much output then during the 90s. But they didn't. They Then VH1 did like a Divas Live thing and she was on that. Um, 
And then she kind of, she did like one final studio album called Colors or Rainbow or something in the early 2000s. And then she passed away in 2012 of lung cancer, which she believes she got from 9-11 because she had a, I think an apartment or a condo near the crash site. And I thought, huh, that was very much a real thing. Like if, whether or not you were down there the morning it happened, a lot of the asbestos and the the material in the tower that dispersed and emanated the moment the towers came down that stuff lasted for weeks and weeks in the atmosphere for many blocks, city blocks and miles starting from the from ground zero. So anybody that was on the ground when the towers came down that inhaled any of that smoke, any of that that dust Anybody that lived in those places down there possibly faced some kind of lung infection or, in Donna Summer's case, lung cancer. Never smoked a day in her life, she said. But we're about 45 minutes or so into the documentary, and I was like, wow, this is really good. She, Donna Summer started singing in church and one thing I appreciated about Donna Summer a lot more now was that she could really sing and as we all know all great singers started in the church or started near a church or were around people that were gospel singers you know, the documentary opens up with two of her daughters um, talking about finding stuff on their mom, and then, like, there's some voiceover stuff. But there's, like, home video of Donna Summer sitting at the piano. This looks to be, like, early 70s. And she's there with one of her daughters at the piano, and she starts singing with the piano. I was like, wow. Like, this is really good. Didn't think, you know, she always had a pretty voice, but it's, the disco music can kind of be distracting from that sometimes. Like, listening to her acapella, whether she was on the Dick Clark show back in the day, American Bandstand, singing in French because she knew multiple languages or singing at the piano with no backing. I was like, damn, she sounds really, really good. So, you know, the first half of the documentary gets into how she went to Europe when she was like 18, 19 years old got into the modeling and the the scene over there back when like Europeans 
were definitely fascinated by black people and particularly black women. I like to think that Josephine Baker started that trend when she went over to France back in the 30s. So Donna Summer gets over there, is doing the modeling thing, almost like a Warhol kind of experience kind of thing. Slender, lean, afro, curls. They love her over there. She crosses paths with, uh, I think, a, a German man or a French man by the name of Helmut. Helmut. H-E-L-M-U-T. Uh, has her first child. They get married. They have first child. And she realizes that she doesn't, she's not connected to this life that much. And she has, like, bigger dreams. So she sends her first child to live with her mom. Um, she does, she does a few, um, European or German showcases, sketches that involve singing. She looks back at it as corny. She starts to get more attention. And then, you know, Casablanca Records starts knocking at her door. And she eventually starts doing some of her solo stuff. Links up with Giorgio Barada. You know, the rest is history. Um, but the, the important thing to take away from the first half of the, the documentary is the sacrifices that female celebrities make as mothers, as single mothers to go work. You know, Shaka Khan has gone on the record to talk about this, about how in the beginning, you know, it was her and her daughter, and, you know, she, thank God she had her parents still around to look after her her oldest daughter and son later on. Like, she realized she had to go on the road to work. And, you know, she would come home, and, you know, just like Donna Summer would come home and try to, to the best of her ability, to be a mother, you know, make breakfast for the kids, put on birthday parties. And her daughter at the time could sense the shame and the guilt of her mother of not being able to be there in a full capacity. At some point, Donna Summer takes her oldest daughter on the road with her bring her on stage and sing to her and they felt from her daughter's perspective more connected like there isn't enough discussion around you know there are the the devils and trials and tribulations of being a recording artist on the road but you know the sacrifices and from that, the appreciation for female artists as mothers who have, who are a household name, 
go go on tour and have you know this lengthy recording career and trying to balance it balance it all um Donna Summer went on to say that she never felt that she had a maternal instinct or a maternal connection. But she she did the damn thing. And um, I think it's very important that we as a society, as much as we, some of us can't help but feel like celebrities owe us something shout out to social media you know a lot of people out here were feeling like feeling some kind of way that Jamie Foxx's daughter was being mum about her father's condition and whereabouts and people started to pry and it's just like y'all are weird like as much as we feel like these celebrities owe us something. At the end of the day, they don't owe us anything outside of their gift. Um, yeah, we're doing just fine. Listen to Shaka Khan's music, Donna Summer's music, without the knowledge that they are working mothers, just like we have working mothers. And it's like, this is the line. This is where... You know, a lot of us show our slip. You know, the line that distincts those of us that truly appreciate the musical artists and what they've given us and how much their music means to us, while also respecting their privacy, not infringing upon their personal lives, from those of us that feel like there's an expectation you know the stand culture that you know this comes from stand culture and fandom it feels like oh well you got to give us everything when i was talking about the jamie fox thing it was just like this is not making sense to me but it's also none of my business Very weird culture that we have. This sense of entitlement, this sense of arrogance. Like, at the end of the day, you don't really care about these people. Like, wish them well and pray for them from a distance. Pray that they pull through. But 10 years ago, 10 or so years ago, y'all didn't even know Ray... Y'all didn't even know, I almost called that man Ray Charles. Y'all didn't even know that Jamie Foxx had a daughter. I knew he had one. Uh, it was after the Jamie Foxx show. He he started bringing his daughter to the BET Awards. And anytime he would get win an award, he would shout her out in the audience and the camera would show her. When she was like eight or nine years old. But I never said to myself, you know what? You got to tell me everything that's going on with your father. Is he actually playing pickleball? And why are you taking him to Chicago when you know he lives in California? What 
what's what's up with the like that never crossed my mind. I found it odd that like Torre published that little whatever saying that he was he was on his deathbed or some shit. And like a lot of this nonsense got to be too much that Corinne was like, look, the truth is he is fine. He was just playing pickleball with me on Thursday. We have him in Chicago. Mind your business. And that should have been the end of that. But here y'all go. Like, it still has to be a line of decency, right? Because God forbid something go on with your parents. And you got 500 or 10 people in the bushes outside the apartment. Because to answer this expectation that they have of your business. This is why you keep hearing these stories every year or stories that come out later on in documentaries about some of these celebrities that are sick of the fame. Like, I'm here to share my gift. I love the music. That's what I'm here for. But the fame and the machine and the monster, y'all can have that. People are nosy. And it's a sickness. It's like people are in your business to distract from the lack of anything in theirs. America America has a problem. I mean, y'all, y'all are so off the hook that y'all damn near ran... Megan and Harry and his mother-in-law off the damn road. And even even in the midst of that narrative, people have different spins coming out of it where it's like, oh, well, they chose to to walk right in front of the paparazzi. Like there was a back way and a high rise. Oh, and then, you know, other people have theories as to, oh, it's not that deep, and it's a fake story, and it's just like, me, Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast, is like, this is deja vu again. You know, the the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry thing is one of those things in society right now where people have just different perspectives. One one that's a reflection of the people over in this corner that glamorize the Buckingham Palace and royalty and they revere and emulate that and hold it to such high esteem without context of, you know, how all of that came to be. You know, look at the history. And those of us of the real world that are like, okay, look at the hi- look at the history. Look at the the actuality that the king and the queen 
and the mo- the monarchy in the, within the confines of Buckingham Palace have no actual power. It's like they're the face of the company or the face of the country, but there are like a collective of old white men with a combined age of older than Jesus that have full government rights, full legislative power, and impact and influence on society over there that fund all the lavish shit that the Buckingham Palace does. The king and queen have no real power. This isn't like Braveheart, right? No, this is this is a dog and pony show. And then there are those of us that are like, y'all really should get into what Prince Harry has been saying and his reasoning for leaving the monarchy and returning well returning his uh his heir or his succession to the throne to be with his wife for the safety and the sanity of his marriage and so on and so forth but even that's not good enough for y'all like a lot of people out here are satisfied with not knowing that racism is still very much a thing over there. It's in the grain and the fabric of everything that goes on over there. And this isn't like all of Europe. I mean, France is cool. Italy is cool. It's just, you know, the UK. And people like... Or anti, you know, anti-Harry and the memoir and all this other stuff. Not realizing that, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that exposing racism is a humanitarian effort. But this is where we are. Like, y'all will gladly go out here and throw yourselves on the sword for people that are not contributing to your life in any form or fashion. Well, this is Mr. Fox, the I Refuse podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you see the I Refuse podcast. We're on Twitter at I Refuse podcast. Follow, subscribe, follow and subscribe, follow and subscribe to the Twitter page. Because I talk most of my shit on, on there. And then I have essentially a burner page. You know, Twitter has steadfastly like tried to keep her brother down, tried to maintain an alt, but they suspended that shit, claiming because it was over my cover photo of the alt. But it's like, I, I, what it's really about is that you don't want to see nude black people you don't want to see black people express themselves as freely as the white content creators catch i'm on to you so i got a burner twitter page uh man's man 83 underscore between the words um so get into it 
And of course, you have this, the I Refuse podcast on a streaming platforms. We have the usual suspects. That's a podcast I have with the Abstract Sagittarius. Also have the I Refuse podcast after dark. Again, on the same a streaming platforms. America, America has a problem. Oh, before I leave, you know, to Elon Muskie that's saying, you know, work from home full-time is morally wrong and then in the same breath sitting on your lofty pedestal to say that you go to work seven days a week um sir you had you hire people to do all your work just for you to come in with your pet say jack mike to take all the credit. And then you get on your yacht. Bestow that um, busted can of biscuits frame on nature, on the seagulls, on the whales, on marine life, on your super yacht. Trying to convince us that Tesla is the way to go all I'm saying is I have yet to see a Tesla driver know how to fucking drive I was on the highway recently and almost got ran off by a Tesla almost got ran off the road by a Tesla like I, I just don't get it like hopping on these every trend to to just just to say that you got something and you can barely you barely know how to drive it. Shit, just the other day I saw somebody on the highway in the pass lane, not passing shit. When I got up to drive past him, this motherfucker was handwriting notes in the notebook on his steering wheel. Too much, too soon. Too fast and furious. I'm out. Catch y'all later. Psych, I lied. So, one more thing, and then I'm then I'm out of here. Another thing that we came across another um, another documentary actually was on Netflix. You know, you have people out here that are talking about the Anna Nicole Smith documentary, which I'm going to watch when I'm in a different headspace. I'm in a pretty good headspace, pretty light, lightweight. I heard that the Anna Nicole Smith documentary was off the hook. Like, y'all spoil a lot of shit when y'all run the Twitter, which y'all know life having asses. That she... In an attempt to try to reconnect with her father, she she had him flown out to California to show him around and welcome him and all this stuff. At some point, he tried to come on to her, her own biological father, and that was why he like he tried he wanted to fuck her, and that was the impetus for their estrangement. That's wild. But 
another Netflix documentary we started watching is one that Barack Obama is leading. Um, I think it's called The Work We Do. It's like a four-episode docuseries on just covering the workforce. Like, people that are trying to make ends meet. The first episode, it follows a woman that is a house cleaner at a major New York City hotel. It follows a woman in Mississippi that is... A elderly caregiver, like she shows up to people's houses, elderly people's houses, and clean for them, and all this other stuff. And then the last lady is an Uber Eats delivery person in Pittsburgh. Probably not even like ten minutes in, when they started covering the girl in Mississippi who looks like she has to drive a good while to get to just the the facility to fill out the paperwork and go over the details of the job um you know during the conversation with the HR manager the HR manager goes through all of her duties and responsibilities got to sweep got to clean you know the rooms the house Got to bathe the people, got to shave the people, got to cook their meals. You have to wash their clothes, you have to bathe them, you have to rub them down, you have to switch out their bedpans, you have to change their clothes, you have to change their diapers and all this other stuff. For $9 an hour. I... I had to pause the damn thing. I had a conversation with Mr. Great about it. I was like, $9? In 2023? Like, I'm aware that... Of the concept of... You know, jobs... Wanting you to be everything but a child of God. For a low wage. Like, that's even the thing in the federal government. Where it's like... They want you to have a master's. They want you to be able to build a house, build a deck, change four tires, flush an engine, like A through Z, one, two, three for twenty dollars an hour for an entry level position. And that's not even including like the four or five assessments they want you to take before you can even get an interview. Like they really want you to go through all these hoops. Before they decide to give you the job or not. And some vacancies, they want to have an informal phone interview before you get to an actual interview, which may not even be the only interview. Before they even think about giving you the job. And that's if there aren't like. 10 or 15 other people also applying for the job. And it's been like that since before the pandemic. So I had to pause and I was like, $9 an hour. And in this pandemic where gas is roughly on average on this side of the country, 
$5 a gallon. A single mother, she... She got into the, she had a different job before that. And then I thought she's in Mississippi. One of the poorest states. And I think we gotta start looking at the government for that. And while I'm on the topic of Mississippi, I forgot to mention this in housekeeping items. Brett Favre had the audacity to come out with a statement that said, you know, the country was great when Donald Trump was president. My first reaction, and I posted in the comment section, was not the welfare queen himself. Boy, bye. Like, I've talked about this on the RFUs podcast. I first started talking about Brett Favre. Last season, it was one of the mixed nuts episodes. Go back to listen to that. And then I continued to talk about Brett Favre on the debut episode of The Usual Suspects. The welfare tapes. When stuff started coming out that the Brett Favre, NFL, Hall of Famer, man that spent roughly 25-30 years in NFL was attached to a welfare scam money funneling thing with the I guess the governor at the time of Mississippi where the governor at the time was funneling was funneling or siphoning money to Brett Favre so that Brett Favre could erect a sports facility at his daughter's college. Allegedly. Mississippi, the same state that has, on average, the highest amount of black people and black families on welfare. Because, A, I guess Mississippi, the only other option is to work a menial job. At a low wage, below poverty levels. You allegedly siphon, take welfare money away from black families. Decide to get your ass on a mic wherever they were recording to tell the rest of us that America was great when 45 was president. No, the fuck it was not. I think another discussion needs to be had around the value and the appreciation that service and retail workers contribute to society. The most disrespected worldwide, countrywide industry is service and retail. 
And that goes from the clerks at Macy's and the department stores down to waiters and waitresses and cooks at the IHOPs and the Waffle Houses down to the Uber Eats drivers and the shopping delivery drivers. Like, y'all are really putting them through it and not tipping them. Oh, yes, y'all are not tipping these people after y'all put this long list of demands. And, you know, I myself, Mr. Five Star Refuse Podcast, has been the target of, you know, this whole tipping and no tipping debate. Unsolicited, unwarranted, unrequested. Again, great that you have an opinion. Could leave it at the opinion. But once it gets performative, it's like, is this really about me or is this really about you? Story time. I know I said I was going to leave, but fuck it. 2014. IHOP was running a... A bottomless pancake thing. I went up there. Had. Three pancakes. I don't think I made it past five. Three pancakes. And a raspberry tea. The bill was three dollars. I paid for the. I pay the bill, I sign it, I leave. Well, I was about to officially leave the parking lot. I was in my car. I get a knock on the passenger window. It's the waiter from the table I was I just sat at. He was like, Food was good? Yeah, I was like, Yeah. Service was good? I was like, Yeah. And he gave a, a thumbs up and had like a sarcastic smile on his face. And he went back to the restaurant and I left. So, I posted something on Facebook about it. It was less than a sentence long. At some point, a mutual friend at the table. I went, I went somewhere else. I went to hang out with a friend and his friends. At a pizza place, I think that Sunday, um, and it came up in conversation. It was we were talking about something else, and it came up in the conversation. My name wasn't part of it, but it was clear that they had been talking about it before we got there because his friend brought it up. And took it upon himself to to make it a moment for everybody else. I never said that I don't tip. It was just that time I did not. I mean, we can have a whole conversation about waiters and waitresses running after people. And it's like, we don't want to talk about that? And then he went to this whole thing about, oh, well, if you can't, 
if you can't afford to tip, don't go out or some shit like that. I was like, okay. But he, he made it a point to go a step further to make it seem like I didn't get it in front of an audience. No, I got it. Very weird. So, when it got to the part in the episode about the Uber East driver, I was like, oh, I feel your pain. As somebody used to ride share, the the design of the app when it's like they don't tell you when you when the request comes in how far the the, um, the driver is or how far the destination is how much money you'll be getting but if you don't accept it it's like a pressure cooker situation to where it's like they give you less than ten seconds to accept it if you don't you face your rating going down. Which, if it drops too low, they'll kick you off the app. Like, you can't... It's like, it's that's so stupid. So, it's the same thing with Uber Eats. But it's like, a lot of people don't tip. And then you have these moments where the person shows up. Like that lady that showed up with the food and got into it with the guy over the ring camera. But she broke it down. She was like, I drove roughly 15 miles one way to get your food, then drove a little bit more over that to come out here, and you're only giving me an $8 tip. And she was going to stand there and, like, try to convince him to give her a greater tip. And the guy was just like, slow to realize um, she means business and you know what she did she took the food back so it's like I get it because when it comes to ride sharing and Uber Eats right you don't earn any money in route like let's say you re- you get a request in you accept the request. You have to drive to go get that person. You're not making any money to drive to get that person or drive to pick up the food. And mind you, the app at no point is telling you how much you're getting. You won't know until after you drop off the food or drop the person off. And on top of that, it's not even... You don't even know how much they'll tip you until later. You just hope you're giving them the best experience, which is why a lot of us are like trying, don't talk a whole lot, don't really engage. Some of us do engage to make it as pleasant as possible, but not every person on the other side is like the same, welcomes it. Some people are weird about it. Some people like, Rate people low when you're being a nice person. But with each update that comes out on these apps, 
like the Ubers and the Lyfts and shit. That has yet to become the next update. To where it's like, oh, you know, you, you're still in charge as to what you accept and what you don't. You, you know, we could tell you how much you stand to make. And you can decide whether or not to take it. Because it's like, you're out there on your own time. You can go as long as you want to for ride sharing. And you have people out here that just like, you're driving 15, 20 miles to pick up a person. To drive them to a destination that's less than six miles away. And it's multiple people. You've already been out there for about two hours. Let's say at like a, a parking, uh, airport parking area that they have. And you're picking up a family from the airport to take them to the, to the hotel. And then they tip you what? Less than $10. So that's roughly four hours. You made only $10. And, you know, the five or six dollars because the flat rate per mile, there's a lot of numbers behind the decimal point. So I get it. Like, y'all really are putting people out here through a lot. And to further prove my point, I'm going to play this, play this for you guys. Ma'am, it's Instacart. I'm leaving your shit right here. But before I leave, I want to tell you, you put too much shit in your memo. Get the eggs from the back. Drive easily over the bomb so don't, my eggs don't crack. It's too much. I'm already in the goddamn shopping store for over an hour. Then you want me to reach to the back to see the, the date that's the long. I'm not doing all that no more, ma'am. You're going to make me quit my job. Don't do that. You stay blessed. Your Instacart is here. Ursuline. Get your ass on my forty. Instacart, give you my ID. Don't forget. The Instacart, give my ID. Sorry, ma'am. Please don't report me. I'm just trying to keep my job. Stay blessed. Stay blessed, Ursuline. Wildin'. So, on that note, I'm leaving this episode. This is Mr. Foxy. I refuse podcast. Please, if you're going to utilize a service that renders services that benefit you, please tip graciously. Because you got people out here that are just trying to make ends meet. Not everybody is in the same tax bracket or income level as you are. Stop putting all these people through it. Also, follow and subscribe to the I Refuse Podcast again at I Refuse Podcast on Twitter. Be sure to check out the usual suspects, the I Refuse Podcast After Dark, and the YouTube channel. And we will catch you guys later.